The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. What is happening? Welcome to the Plus Pitch Podcast, your morning pitching podcast from pitchless.com. My name is Nick Pollock. Today, oh, today we're going to talk about the New York Mets. And they have a team. They have, they have a team. I, but if you don't know, we're going over all 30 starting pitching rotations across the month of January. I'm recording this at the end of December. They've made some free agent signings. I don't think they're going to do anything more. A lot of the free agents have settled by now. And we're going to start with Max Scherzer, who went 11 and 5 last year across 145 innings, 229 ERA, 0.91 whip, a 31% K rate, and a 4% walk rate. And how Max Scherzer does so well is a duo of sliders and cutters. From about 22% to 28% swing strike rates, sub-15% hard contact rates. These are great. The four-seamer doesn't miss bats like it used to, but it still gets a ton of strikes, most of 30% uh, CSW. That's a little bit more hard contact than we'd like as well. But that slider and that cutter are just so dang good that Max Scherzer is... Quality per inning is fantastic. Also, his home run problems, well, they showed up in the playoffs, but in the regular season, not so much. And it does feel like Scherzer is absolutely solid when he pitches. It's just a question of how much is Max Scherzer going to pitch? His last 180 inning season was 2018. He did pitch a full 2020. Nevertheless, 170 and change for 2019 and 2000. Uh, and 21, and then, of course, 145 in 2022. I'm not going to go after Max Scherzer in my drafts early because I, if I'm getting an early guy, I want to get a 200-inning guy, and I don't think that Scherzer is going to be that. 170, fine, but it's it, it's uneasy, and we know that Scherzer is highly likely to miss time this year. So it's up to you if you want to go for that and you want to endure it when it does happen and just reap the benefits of Scherzer when he does pitch. It's not going to be a 229 ERA, but it's going to be a great ERA. It's going to be a great whip. He's going to get lots of strikeouts, etc. Um, enjoy that. And you can kind of say the same about his partner in crime now, Justin Verlander, who went 18-4 last year with the Astros, 175 innings, 175 ERA, 0.83 whip, 28% K rate, 4% walk rate. It's... It's a case of, all right, this guy came back from Tommy John, 175 innings is miraculous. Only really missed two weeks of the entire season. It was a six-man rotation for the Astros. So that's why it was still depressed on the inning workload, even if you included those uh, two weeks that he missed. I don't expect a couple things. One, it's odd to see someone, especially at his age, he's going to be 40 this year, uh, Justin Verlander, to be this healthy after Tommy John so quickly. We've seen in the past 
guys that come back from Tommy John, their body just can't take it. Uh, and there's still injury risk for Verlander in 2023. We'll mention it's a higher risk for a guy like Max Scherzer, higher risk for Jacob deGrom, Shane McClanahan. Not as much for Verlander after going as much as he just did. Still, it is present more than, say, Corbin Burns. Also with Verlander, lower swing strike rate on his fastball, down to about 10.7%. It used to be 15% back in the in uh, in 2018 or so. I actually checked it with PitchFX, which is a little bit different than our uh, StatCast numbers of it. Still, they hate it. 8.7% swing strike rate and uh, 14% back in the day. We include foul tips. They don't. Still, that's really, really alarming. It should be to you that Verlander doesn't get as many whiffs on his four-seamer that he used to. Slider came down a little bit as well when it came to swing strike rates. And it all adds up to not a 175 ERA in an 8.83 whip season. It makes us think a lot like, yeah, he's going to regress a good amount. Also, we do imagine with age, generally there's some degradation as well. He's not going to get better and fix those things likely next year. So it makes me a bit concerned to go after Justin Verlander. Still, let's just say he goes all the way to a 3.5 ERA and a 105 whip with a 25% K rate on a winning ball club. That's still really good. And it could be better than that. So I'm, I was really out on Verlander in October because essentially we had 20 guys that I thought were all fantastic. All of them. And I think the floor is still higher for Verlander than it is someone say like Kevin Gosman. Or Joe Musgrove. So Verlander is getting a big boost. He's going to be around, I'd say, somewhere like 10, 11, or 12. um, By uh, something like that uh, for my February rankings. Still, Justin Verlander is not in my top five. I think the the regression is due. He's not going to be a 30% strikeout guy. He's probably going to be 25, 26. That's my best guess. Because I think his stuff wasn't as good as it was last year. Um, He also faced a really weak schedule. I was looking at this a bit. He faced the Mariners a lot. The Mariners were good and bad. They were not necessarily an elite team offensively, but they weren't, you know, they were solid. Um, And then the Yankees once didn't face the Dodgers. I mean, it was really just like maybe two other tough teams and that was it uh, for the entire season. So I do wonder if that played a role into this for Verlander. I'm not saying that he's going to fall off a cliff because he has to face Atlanta and the Phillies a decent amount this year. And those are going to be very strong offenses uh, that Verlander is going to have to deal with. He's likely going to just have a tougher time, is my point. So we'll see. You can maybe say that gets countered by the park factor of the Astros versus the park factor of City Field. And you could have a very good point. I'm not putting too much weight into it. All I'm saying is that you see the 175 ERA and the .83 whip of Verlander from 2022. And don't let that sway you too much to think that Verlander can repeat that. He is not going to repeat that. Just kind of erase it. And I uh, likely closer to three and uh, 105 whip or something along those lines. Uh, so, so very good. I've been underrating him. I'm going to adjust in my next rankings. There are some other guys to talk about here. Carrasco and McGill and Quintana, Cody, Kodai Senga, David Peterson. I'm going to talk about all of those after this break. I'm not sure who the Mets number three is. Is it Carlos Carrasco? Is it Quintana? Is it Kodai Senga? I'm going to say it's Carrasco just by being the veteran of the crew who went 15 and seven last year, had 152 innings, 3.97 ERA and a 133 whip with a 24% K rate and a 6% walk rate. And oh, it, it's 
it's painful rostering Carrasco. He is a cherry bomb because he does not have a good fastball. He has a slider and a changeup that miss bats around 19 to 20% of the time, though that's great. But he also really exclusively splits them up. Lefties get the changeup, righties get the slider, and sometimes he does incorporate both, but it's mostly like that. So if it's a lefty heavy lineup, he'll face it. He'll face them with a changeup and vice versa. The problem with that is he's not so consistent with those two pitches. So if he's facing a lefty lineup and doesn't have his changeup, it's going to be a bad day. And if he doesn't have a slider against righties, it's going to be a bad day, especially considering, again, the fastball's always gotten crushed. So it means that you want to trust Carrasco against bad teams, but not good ones. And something to note with the Mets, I mean, I didn't say it with Verlander and Scherzer because you're just going to start them every single time that they start. The Mets have such a good schedule early on. Uh, For Carrasco, if he is in fact the number three, I believe he would get the Marlins, the Marlins, the Athletics in his first three starts, which is just nuts. (laughs) So at the end of your draft, I would start Carrasco for all three of those. Is it going to be three for three? Probably not. Maybe two for three. But that's that's someone that I would consider at the end of my draft where... I have gone after all the fun upside ones that I feel good about early. And then I take Carrasco as, okay, if I can't find someone else that I want to chase early on, I have Carrasco starts that I feel good about. You might get a Carrasco start in the first weekend, find someone else that you really like. And then after that good Marlins start, you actually drop him for someone else. That's fine. You're getting value out of Carrasco. So I dig this. And the same could be applied really for Jose Quintana and Kodai Senga. Uh, I probably am going to be favoring Kodai Senga ahead of Jose Quintana. As he's someone who had about 94 to 96 mile per hour fastball um, in the Japanese league and has a filthy splitter as well with a decent slider. That's the that's the word that I've heard so far about Senga. I've seen some clips of him. The splitter looks good. Looks good. Keep in mind that splitters are easier to throw in the Japanese league than it is uh, here. So it, it, it often doesn't really translate all the way through. I'm excited to watch him in the spring. At the very least, take a chance on this against the Marlins. I could be just a really effective pitcher through the year. That's great. Really nice schedule early. Good team behind him. Good offense. All that kind of stuff. It could work out really well. I prefer Senga above Carrasco and Quintana for that reason. Probably around 17th round, something like that. I would take a chance on this because, again, I'm starting him early. Now, if he's the number five, though, not as appealing. And it's not because he wouldn't get the Marlins. He'd get the Brewers. That's fine. You get Brewers and the Marlins. Okay. And then Athletics. It's not because of that. It's because he wouldn't go that opening weekend. So that I would have to wait if I saw someone else that did so well. And I'm just so excited about them. But I hadn't seen Kodai Senga start yet, right? I would want to get the value out of Carrasco uh, and then and then move on from that, right? So it's a little annoying. But I think I'd still go after Senga just because I would be excited. Especially after a good spring. If he has a good spring, I would be excited for uh, for those easy starts at the beginning of the year. Jose Quintana is a very interesting one, especially for deeper leagues, because it's a if you're going for Quintana, it's a bet that his Vargas rule sticks around for another year. And when I say a Vargas rule, that is a product of a pitcher having excellent command for a long stretch that they're in rhythm. And Quintana essentially had that with a valley in the middle between June and July, where of the 24 starts between the really rough patch, like middle of June and middle of July, 23 of them came with two earned runs or fewer. And the other one was just three earned runs crazy end of the season was 293 era including that valley uh 129 whip 20 percent carry across 166 innings six and seven record 
So Jose Quintana did this by locating his four-seamer up consistently. His high lock went from 51% on the four-seamer to 69%. That's huge because his curveball was consistently down before and he kept it down and that just amplifies it when it helps with the tunneling of it. So that meant his strike rate went up dramatically, eight points to mid-60s on the curveball and thus 7% walk rate and a much better performance for Jose Quintana. I don't know if that command's going to be there. It was pristine. Generally, the offseason ends it, right? It's the big wall of the Vargas rule. I don't like chasing this, but it's the Marlins. <laughs> or it could be the Brewers, whoever he gets first. They have four games against the Marlins and then the Brewers. So I would start Quintana against either of those two teams. I don't think either of them has a good offense. And that might work out. So I would draft Quintana in my 12-teamer. I know I don't draft Tobies, but I draft a streamer. <laughs> who is someone I actually would start at the end of my draft. I would be more inclined to draft Quintana a couple days before the start of the year than early in March, just because things are going to heat up in spring when we get word of this guy throwing harder and all of that. And, oh, Tyler McGill is actually going to get a roster spot. He's not, but understandably so. That would make it so that I wouldn't want to just take my cheap start at the beginning of the year with Quintana. And instead would want to take a shot at something that is a a more long-term thing. But still, I'm circling all three of these Mets starters, Kodai Senga, Quintana, and Carrasco, to be my backup plan as a fill-in starter at the beginning of the year. Now, the other two guys for the Mets that I really should talk about are David Peterson and Tylord McGill. And yes, Tylord. I... Because, oh, I love Tyler McGill. I think that Tyler McGill, if he ever gets an opportunity to start every five days with consistency, could have a legitimate breakout year. His four-seamer is fantastic. A 15% swing strike rate across the 47 innings he threw last year. And if you remember at the beginning of the year, he had six starts that returned a 243 ERA, a .9 whip, and a 28% strikeout rate for Tyler McGill. He was pumping 96 on the fastball, had a good slider that he was developing and getting whiffs on. Changeup was a good mix of pitch too, and it just seemed as if he just needed the time to ease in for the full year to become a legitimate starter, kind of like Brandon Woodruff light with that fastball as his foundation. Unfortunately, he had a shoulder strain, allowed eight runs, Went on the IL for a while, came back, two bad starts for about 600 runs in as many innings, went back on the IL, then returned as a reliever. And that was it. That was the 2022 we saw of Tyler McGill. I was really hoping the Mets were going to allow him to be a star in this rotation during the year. But of course, Steve Cohen is Steve Cohen. And we had to get Kodai Senga, had to get Verlander, had to get Jose Quintana, right? And there's no more opening for McGill. At some point, we might see McGill start. We might see him be a reliever now. We might see him traded. I don't know what the future holds for Tyler McGill at the moment. If he does get into a scenario of he's consistently starting and featuring a fastball that sits through the game at 95 and above, I'm so, so in. So be on the lookout for that. Uh, Some have said that David Peterson is actually the first one to get opportunities for the Mets, considering he threw more innings for them as uh, overall in this season. 105 innings, 7-5 record, 3-8-3 ERA, 133 whip, and a 28% K rate. I mean, if you look at the ERAs, it does feel like he should be the guy, you know, 5-13 for McGill last year, 3-8-3. I believe the skill set of McGill more, though. Peterson has a slider that returned a 26% swing strike rate last year that should be really alarming to you and go wait a second he's so good Nick what's wrong 
what's wrong is that I don't trust anything else. His four-seamer did have low hard contact, 23%, and it did in the previous season as well. I don't think it's actually that good, though. Sinker sure isn't. Changeup is very mediocre. Curveball is whatever. Like, it's really just the slider that made David Peterson worthwhile in any regard last year. Walk rate 10.6%. It's going to push up that whip. It's going to make him less effective in starts. Yes, the strikeout rate was there when the slider was working. He's a streaming option. I really hope the Mets don't turn to Peterson first before McGill uh, in the uh, if they were to get an open rotation spot here. They probably will, and I'm upset already. I think of him as a cherry bomb. Stream him against weak teams, but that's about it for David Peterson. And that's it for the Mets rotation. Uh, so thank you all so much for listening, subscribing to the channel. I... I keep saying this to the channel. Subscribing to the podcast. Thanks so much. Remember, this is a public one now. The Plus Pitch Podcast. So make sure it's inside of your feed so you don't miss a single episode and rate us and review us on iTunes and Spotify. But that is it. So my name is Nick Pollock. And may your babas be low and your strikeouts high.